just after the full moon, the strawberry full moon, uh, as it's sometimes called. Uh, I missed the new moon, uh, but I'm, I'm back. Here I am, uh, you know, bear time. These things happen. Uh, but I hope, uh, I hope wherever you are, you've got the, the full moon light and energy shining down on you and things blooming around you. Uh, I hope you've got clean air and water. Uh, so many, so many places don't. And um, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of wildfires and smoke and pollution and, you know, humans are kind of terrible. I'm, I'm glad I'm a, just a stuffed bear because, uh, yeah, humans are, are destroying this planet and each other. But uh, here in the Violet Hour, I've got some beautiful words and music for you. Uh help you uh, uh, maybe, you know, rest and recharge uh, for a little bit. So I'm really excited to share with you uh, some beautiful work from the magazine Janice Literary. I have a little sampling of writers in there on music by Party Car. So I think, I think you're going to enjoy this show. So let's jump right in. Uh, this first piece from Janice Literary, is called Unfurl by Lindsay Kroll. I know the change is coming from the scratch in my throat. Next, my fingers elongate and sharpen as green root-like veins unfurl from my hands to my neck to my stomach. I catch my reflection in my dome's glass, abdomen distended, so big I worry it'll burst. The scratch grows more intense as the days pass, builds into an irritation I can't dislodge, no matter how much water I drink. On the morning of, the gardeners arrive, suited and booted. They sit by the doorway and wait until I begin to retch. Each time, I hope, in vain, I'll get used to the agony, the blades in my throat. I'm given no sedative as I writhe. Then come the spores. Small, globular things finally dislodged. It's hard to believe something so tiny could cause such distress. The gardeners gather them quickly and leave, and alone again I curl up into myself to rest. My cycle could be worse. During her season, Agapanthus girl blooms several times a month, so bright I can see her purple shimmer in her distant dome, a jewel in the darkness. I imagine her transformation, her jaw cracking open to reveal the beautiful flower within only to have its stem cruelly cut away for regrowth. There's no brightness then, not until the cycle begins again. Sometimes I dream of being in the gardens outside, though it feels more like a memory. I'm lying within a fern as the fronds unfurl, and I'm free, if only for a moment. 
Then the gardeners arrive to uproot me, place me in my dome, where I wait and wait and wait until the scratch begins again in my throat. Party Car with Ceiling Fan. Cult Status by Fiona McKay. I was in high school when the preacher arrived. Revivalist this, born again that. A show, all of it, or maybe a spell. Those long, hot meetings in the army green tent. Women swooning and fainting, my mama among them. Always the women. The men here aren't the fainting kind. Preacher always caught the pretty ones, the young ones. I made sure never to fall, just in case. It was later that year it started. One by one, families stopped sending their daughters to school. It wasn't unknown. A lot of young marriages in this town, or sometimes girls would go east, visit an aunt for a while, finish out school there. But this was different. Class sizes were shrinking. Mostly just the boys left by the time the school inspector came. Teachers got laid off, classes herded together. It was easy to skip out, take long walks instead. Then Lucy stopped coming to school. I rang and rang her house, no answer. I took to looping past the farm on days I cut class. Glad their dog Murphy knew me so well he'd come running up for treats and petting instead of barking the place down. I got close enough one time to see Lucy's mother crying, her father pacing up and down angry. That night, I began making plans. 
As time went on, people began noticing the rooks and crows and ravens stalking the stubbly fields, all the corvids with their curving beaks, cawing and croaking, whirling upwards in great organized flights. Through autumn, as the leaves fell and the birds rose in the air, I hid things I would need in the hollow tree between our farm and the town. I didn't know what I was getting ready for, but all anyone was talking about was the birds and what they were doing to our town, our farms. The crops, people said, the livestock. The birds and their murderous pecking, their unpredictable flights. Farmers were angry, but more than that, afraid. Scarecrows didn't scare. Poison they ruled out, but only because of the water table, the crops, the livestock. Preacher upped the number of meetings, and every night his words of fire and brimstone poured out and circled the hinterland, gliding through the air and into the homes of those who didn't attend. How loud it was in the tent. We had brought this plague of birds on ourselves, he roared, and the heat around me made it feel like hell. As autumn took hold and deepened, I took to spending time in the old treehouse high up in the old oak, open to the skies like the crow's nest in a ship. I was first to see the trucks approaching. Not army trucks, but the feel of something military, powerful, frightening. Men. Men with weapons. A hunter's army of men, and I felt afraid. As I climbed down, the first snow began to fall. Before a rifle could be raised, I swooped on the hollow tree, pulling my bag from under the crisping leaves, pulling my jacket close against the thickening snow, and running, running, running. There was one bus in the station, belching diesel fumes as it waited for the last passengers to board, and I joined them. Ticket to the end of the line, wherever. Afterwards, some people said that when the first birds were shot, bodies started falling from the skies, the bodies of the missing girls. In my mind I saw them, Lucy and all the other ones, falling like the snow, freezing to the ground. I wished I could raise them up, give them voice, give them life, but I was gone. I was long gone on a bus to nowhere, anywhere, the cold white snow falling all around, dancing and swirling. I watched the snow fall as I rubbed the feathers sprouting from my shoulders and soared away into my life. We remember when the door slammed in the den. And we were pretty sure we all had to get divorced. We don't really know what happens when that happens. We were was Party Car with Divorce. Whisker tents and bristle fur electric we prowl by Matthew Gostolo. Whisker tents and bristle fur electric we prowl. The night is ours and we have become one with her chill air. Three weeks since that grunting stink, that lumber lurching, lumping red face wrapped us in an airless sack and damned our souls to this canal. 
three weeks since the end of us, and we have laid so patient in the deep. The dank and stinking waters of the cut are thick with bodies, the mud a flood with swarming, swimming souls. The slipfoot drunks and bruisy brawlers, working girls who walk the risky roads. Unwanted young, the babes, the pups, and us. The unmissed and the lost and woebegone. But the cold light of a plump, fat, milk-white moon revives our angry bones. Reborn, undead, we scrabble-claw our way back to the surface. Retake the tow path slip unseen into the soft-lit streets. Of water we have had our fill. For milk, we have no hunger. Our appetite is only for an icy-cold revenge and jets of hot red blood to wash it down. We are more night than flesh since this black magical rebirth. The darkness hugs us close and warms our bones. The moon has cast an ice-white path to lead us to that sack-drowned fiend, and yet we cling to inky shadow, moving liquid, without sound. Over wall and through fence, how we run and jump and glide. We sense our prey. The hot smell of his murder guilt grows close. So silently we shadow slink towards his musty den. You may call me Moonblade and my sisters prowl beside me. Razor Fang and Clamp Claw are their names. We navigate these alleyways and streets with sleek assurance, the back paths and the black paths over roof and under arch. Our senses are hunt-ready, twitching ear and sky-wide eye, our noses reaching out to catch the secrets on the breeze. We sense the warm fur, soft per solace of our mama in this place. The ruthless ratter needle mouth, a killer born to hunt. She had no time to teach us all her secrets when we lived, those precious days before the sack man came. Yet now we know her lessons in the marrow of our bones, the ways to rip and shred and crunching break. We hear her prowling cellar deep, quiet creep, slow stalking all the scritchfoot rats and mice that nest down there. How we would love to join her in the darkness of downstairs, to lurk, to pounce, and capture by her side. But there's no time for skittish meowing play on this cold silver night. Our prey is something bigger than a mouse, a snoring, sweating sack rat in the upstairs of this house. Through the window, silent creep and now in glinting moonlight's glare revealed. Three weeks submerged have left us rot-a-bone, all patch fur, stink flesh, hollow skull. But strong enough in jaw and claw to see this last hunt through, to end the man who ended us so cruel. Around the bed we slither, ready, sneaking to his sleeping form. My sisters take position, crouching silent by his fists, while I creep up to stand upon his rising, falling chest. I hear the rushing blood beneath his skin, my paw pad sense the thumping heart within. We pounce as one, my sisters slashing wrists with razor claws. Crimson fountains pulse across the walls. 
My own blades sink through eyelids, blinding Sakrat as he wakes. My belly smothers up his screams in rot flesh stink of putrid guts. My back legs kick and tear and shred, gouging out his fleshy throat until the struggles cease. And just like that, the grunting stink lies silent, slack and still. So lame and weak without his grabbing bag and cold canal. And just like that, our angry bones are done with vengeful work. I rub cheeks with my sisters, sharing one final embrace, as the moonlight takes us back to rest in grace. <laughs> Party Car with Skeleton Warrior Little Bird by D.W. McKinney The mother calls her daughter Little Bird for the golden tufts atop her head and the way she mimics the starlings and bowerbirds stealing their chirps and squeaks, peeping and singing until the day her childish body elongates and her arms lengthen and bend for flight and her finger bones arch like talons and the sounds, she eats more of them in her long throat. The shout of her father driving down the road, the scrape and squeak of fingernails on a chalkboard, the cry of her only friend who skins his knee on the playground, the knock, 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 ooh, that comes from behind closed bedroom doors. And she releases them all in warbles and halting shrieks, 
which ease into weeping moans of ecstasy that send her friend running into the street, where cars beep, 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 then smash, metal crunching and tearing lives into pieces, and Little Bird replays this scene at dinner, her feathered arms waving and banging against the table, upending the cups, her mouth a cage of misshapen teeth, releasing the crunch and snap of bones, the soft splat of blood, and the rattles of death that shake, please God stop from her mother's cracked lips, but little bird catches her mother's voice, gobbles it up, and says, more. Party Car with Cable Box. The Tantric by Ani Banerjee. Adjacent to the burning ghat in Benares, in the narrow winding maze of lanes filled with stores selling marijuana and scented cardamom, in a tiny one-room apartment lived a girl and her mother. They would climb on their roof and watch the flames and smoke rising from the ghat. The mother told the girl that when she died, the girl should burn her there, because people burned there would reach moksha from the life and death cycle. But the girl said, If you are not born again, who will look after me? Someone else will, her mother promised. When her mother died, the girl was only nine. People told the girl that she was unlucky, because her mother died on a Tuesday morning. Bad timing, they said. Be careful, because bad things will happen to you. Like what? the girl asked. 
but they just looked at the ceiling and folded their hands and did not answer her. The girl's father would seldom come home. People said he had another family somewhere else. The father showed up, took the gold necklace and the bangles from the mother's body, said he would be right back, left the house, and did not return. On the third day, when the mother's body started to smell, the girl covered her up in a bedsheet and carried her on her shoulder to the burning ghat. The priest said he needed money before he let her inside the waiting room, but the girl did not have any. The priest took pity on her, said the girl could go wait, but she needed to find the money for the burning. Maybe a rich man will donate the money, he said. In the waiting room, bodies were lined up, all covered in white muslin, nicely wound with ropes. It was there that the girl's mother spoke to her. See that body in the leftmost corner? Replace me with that body and take it home. Feed the body some ganga water. As you pass by the market, pick up whatever food you want. No one will ask for money. The girl did as she was told and put the new corpse on her shoulder. As she stepped up from the ghat, the evening prayers floated in from the other ghats, and the night market was in full swing. The girl picked up some fish, eggplant, potatoes, rice, and tomatoes. The sellers were horrified at the sight of this little girl carrying a corpse and did not say anything. Back in the house, she fed Ganges water to the corpse, and it became a woman. She was younger than her mother. She said, I will be your new ma for the day, but at night I will become a corpse as I rest. The girl consented, and often in the evening she would carry the corpse to the night market and pick up whatever she wanted cooked. The corpse would just lie at night, sleep, and wake up before the girl did in the morning. Word spread that the girl was a tantric. She commands a corpse. People flocked to see her blessing, but Numa advised not to open the door to anyone until she was older. Ultimately, the news got to her father, and her father came. The girl opened the door because Numa said she could. When he came in, Numa asked for the jewelry of his first wife. The father did not have them. Numa went with her father and got the jewelry. Numa said she took care of the father and that he would not bother her any more. Soon the girl became a beautiful young woman. Numa asked the girl to go to Kolkata and find work. She also asked the girl to take her to the ghat and burn her before leaving. This time the girl had money. The corpse was doused in the Ganges and placed on the wood pyre. The girl took the torch and placed it on the face of the corpse. But instead of new Ma's face, she saw her old Ma's face. Thank you.
Party Car with Go to the Volcano. Mana by Jude Higgins. Her mother's at the door, criticizing the litter of moldy leaves and walking boots on the porch, but then she smiles. The last Christmas I spent with you was the best since your father died, she says. Her daughter nods and reminds her mother how her husband made them laugh throughout the Christmas meal how afterwards they'd watched an animation of the man who planted trees, the story of a shepherd who, after the First World War, 
restored a desolate valley by planting acorns. We both planted so many different species of trees after that program. She points to the olive tree growing in the front garden. I've made oil from the olives on this tree you gave me, one bottle each year. I always think of you. Fancy an olive tree fruiting in this climate, her mother says. The daughter doesn't tell her about global warming or that fruiting olive trees are common in England now. Her mother potters around, picks a sprig of holly, and hums a Christmas carol. She admires a rusty metal chicken askew in a tub, tilts it forward so it looks as if it's pecking real food. It's lovely being able to spend Christmas with you now we're both the same age, she says. I don't mind if you're still vegetarian. I'm only eating manna these days. I've yogurt in the fridge. I expect that's similar. Lovely, her mother says as if she's forgotten that she would never touch yogurt when she was alive. They're about to go into the house when the little brown and black dog, the daughter's beloved childhood pet, trots up, reeking of cow dung. Together they wash it in the kitchen sink like they used to years before. The daughter holds the dog's shivering head and her mother's at its rear with the soap. It hurts their fingers now they both have arthritic joints. When it's dry, the dog lies between them on the sofa and they settle in for a chat. The Christmas pudding, the daughter stuffed with lucky silver sixpences, as if she had guests to share it with, steams on the stove. Shall I tell you what's happening in the world these days, she says, her face grave. The mother looks worried. She grasps for a word. Nuclear? Not quite but it's flammable and flooding, plague too. Fire, water, or disease could kill us just as easily as nuclear weapons. She hides the remote so her mother won't see today's grisly news. The climate's gone crazy. There's a virus killing millions. You must look after yourself, her mother says, and hugs her, something she never used to do. That's all you can do, and be kind. I could have been kinder to you. You were kind enough. The daughter cries a little because the thought she was mean to her mother has haunted her for years. She fetches the yogurt. Try it, she says. It might be better than manna. Mmm, her mother says after each mouthful. I could get a taste for living. But however many spoons the daughter feeds her, the yogurt doesn't keep her mother there. She's fading, becoming transparent. And just as the timer pings to say the pudding's ready, she and the dog have gone. The daughter sits for a long while, wishing the dog was still lying next to her and she could feel the warmth of her mother's unexpected hug. Logs spit and crackle in the fire. No other noise. A spicy smell drifts in from the kitchen. But she doesn't go in to check the pudding. She knows, even if she cut a slice and found a lucky sixpence, it won't bring them back. Thank you.
Party Car with Gambling Man. I guess it's time for a little mise. And on the menu today is a snack size interview with our featured musician, Party Car. Sam Nielsen is Party Car. He is from Racine, Wisconsin, but now lives in Minneapolis with Erica. He plays bass and guitar and owns a drum machine. He has made an album called Cow and Worm Go to the Volcano. It is available online. And you can find it online at partycar.bandcamp.com. And you should all definitely go get your paws on this album. And Partycar was kind enough to answer a few questions for the Violet Hour. 1. What is your earliest memory of a party? What is your earliest memory of a car? A party is where you go to grandma's house and there is chocolate cake at the end. My earliest memory of a car is when the car goes off the track and explodes in the intro to Speed Racer. 2. If you were an amusement park attraction, what would you be? Tilt-a-whirl. 3. What is your songwriting process and creative practice like? Sometimes I work on writing a song for a year and sometimes it just takes one shower. My creative process is to never get good, always experiment. 4. What are your five favorite words associated with cow? Cud, grass, cheese, hoof, cattle, and moo. 
with worm. Dirt, sniveling, glow, wiggle, pinochle. With volcano. Island, Joe, magma, lava, isophagical, a volcano in Iceland that I'm sure I mispronounced. Five, describe your current obsessions as if they were pizza toppings. I would order a half Taskmaster and Yellow Jackets, TV shows, and half Kiwi Jr. and Smirk, bands. But I could always go for a classic double threat or blank check, podcasts. Bonus, if you were a stuffed animal, what would you be? I would want to be a Teddy Ruxpin so I can be part bear, part tape player. Well, thanks again, Party Car, for sharing your music and thoughts in the Violet Hour. And again, you can pick up their new album, Cow and Worm Go to the Volcano, at partycar.bandcamp.com. Are you or anyone you know a musician? Amateur, professional, experimental? Do you tell stories with music and song? Are you interested in being considered for a potential feature on Mr. Bear's Violet Hour? If you have answered yes to any of these questions, please send samples of your work, links to Bandcamp, SoundCloud, your website, digital demo tape files on Google Docs, whatever you have, to violethourmoon at gmail.com. It's me, Mr. Bear. Oh, hey, Mr. Bear. Come on in. Oh, I know. I'm I'm late again. Uh, I missed the new moon. I'm a bit late with the full moon. Oh, that's okay, Mr. Bear. Stop worrying. Here, try some uh, lemon balm wine. Oh, lemon balm wine. That sounds nice. It sure is. Uh, lemon balm is relaxing and cooling, a lovely nervine, and... Uh, it's um in the mint family and super easy to grow. Uh, yeah, actually, uh, didn't you just pick up a, a lemon balm plant the other day? I did, Mr. Bear. Um, glad you got my postcard about that. I did. I got a little lemon balm plant, and uh, she's tucked in and growing, and they're really easy to grow. Um, and once you plant one in your yard, they'll, they'll usually spread quite happily. Um, and then you'll have lemon balm for a long time to come. Um, and it's beautiful. Uh, smells like lemon. I mean, <laughs> it's right in the name, right? Uh, but if you just rub a little of the Rub the leaves between your paws and smell. Oh, delicious. The volatile oils come right out. And it makes a beautiful tea. Um, But you can also infuse it in wine or vodka or any other spirit. Um, And yeah, it's it's just delightful. Oh, yeah, I I could use a little delight. Yeah, lemon balm is really wonderful, especially when you're kind of stressed out or, you know, you need to relax and calm down. It's really safe and gentle, um, you know, even for little kids and old people and everybody in between. 
Um, yeah, lemon balm is just delightful. Um, I was doing a little research reading about it. Um, have you ever heard about Carmelite water? Uh, yeah, I have actually. It's not one of those, um, fancy, uh, like herbal drinks monks or nuns make and they don't tell anyone what's in it. Yeah, pretty much. Um, you know, there are, there are a number of things like that, like chartreuse and yeah, closely, closely guarded secrets. Um, and Carmelite water is one of them, but there's, you know, a lot of recipes out there, different variations, but lemon balm is always the main ingredient. Um, and a lot of the other ones, uh, they say angelica, coriander, nutmeg, lemon zest, um, so you can just, you know, mix up some different things in a jar and then pour some wine or alcohol, you know, any other kind of alcohol over it and let it steep um, and strain it off and then, you know, have your own your own little version of Carmelite water. All that, that sounds pretty nice, Miss Mousy. Have you tried it? Well, I've done um, lemon balm in, in wine just by itself. I, I haven't really tried the Carmelite water. Uh, but you want to hear some things I was reading about lemon balm? Of course, Miss Mousy. I always want to hear what you're reading. Well, you remember our friend Maud Grieve. I mean, you know, she's not around anymore, but uh, her work is. She did a modern herbal. And uh, uh, and she quotes a lot of folks from uh, throughout history who talked about lemon balm, like um, Paracelsus, who was uh, a Swiss physician and alchemist, and he thought it would completely revivify a man. And... It was, she writes, it was formerly esteemed of great use in all complaints, supposed to proceed from a disordered state of the nervous system. The London Dispensary, 16, uh, 1696, I don't have my reading glasses on, Mr. Bear, you know, I'm, I'm getting to be a bit of an old mouse, um, says, an essence of balm given in canary wine every morning will renew youth, strengthen the brain, relieve languishing nature, and prevent baldness. Um, All that? <laughs> I, could, I could use that, Miss Mousy. Um, Mr. Barron might be a little late uh, for that for you. Um, anyway, John Evelyn wrote, Balm is sovereign for the brain, strengthening the memory and powerfully chasing away melancholy. Balm steeped in wine, we are told again, comforts the heart and driveth away melancholy and sadness. Oh, that sounds uh, perfect. I know. I think we could all uh, all use some heart comforting and, and driving away of melancholy and sadness. Um, formerly a spirit of balm combined with lemon peel, nutmeg, and angelica root, enjoyed a great reputation under the name of Carmelite water, being deemed highly useful against nervous headache and a neurologic affection. And yeah, sometimes people use it, um, like an, like a, like a perfume, an eau de toilette, you know, you can make some and splash it on yourself too. Uh, anyway, I just think, you know, everybody, uh, should should get some lemon balm and any um any nursery uh, uh you know basically anywhere anywhere that sells plants is probably going to have lemon balm uh, or you might know somebody already growing it and uh, they might be happy to share a little with you because um, you know it's nice to share what's in your garden with uh, other folks uh yeah it is miss mousy you always share things from your garden with me and uh, i really appreciate it Oh, any time, Mr. Bear. And the um, 
The scientific name for lemon balm is Melissa officinalis, and Melissa is the Greek word for honeybee, and bees love this plant too, so, you know, it's always, it's always wonderful to, to plant some plants for the pollinators. Uh, yeah, I agree, you know, I love the bees, save the bees, uh, get rid of, get rid of grass and lawns, and, uh, save the bees. Yeah, that's, um, I, I agree too, but, you know, maybe a catchier slogan, Mr. Bear, um, you know, that, that one was a bit long. Uh, yeah, uh, how about just, uh, uh, save the bees? Okay, Mr. Bear, slogan, slogan writing's not your, um, forte, and that, that's okay. How about we do a flower oracle? Uh, good idea, Miss Mousy. Okay, uh, so for anyone, anyone who hasn't been in the apothecarium with us before, uh, my oracle is from Kate Greenaway's Language of Flowers, and I'm just going to paw through and point down and see what our oracle is, our flower oracle for June. Oh dear, our oracle is quaking grass which means agitation. Uh, well, all the more reason to, to grow some lemon balm and make some lemon balm tea or lemon balm wine or that caramelite water. I guess, I guess, um, agitation is, is, uh, is the oracle. Uh, yeah, but I mean, agitation, uh, can be good, Miss Mousy. You know, you gotta, gotta stir things up, get things moving. You always say that. Yeah, you're right, Mr. Bear. Agitation um, can be a good thing, and uh, we do want to get things moving. And then we want to be able to, you know, relax and, and, and calm down our nervous systems. Uh, so, yeah, le- Lemon Balm is, is your friend. Uh, yeah, Lemon Balm is, is my new friend, Miss Mousy, and I'm sure glad you're my friend. Aw, oh, ditto, Mr. Bear. Uh, you better better get back and finish that show. Uh, it's going to be the new moon before you know it. Oh, uh, I know. Don't remind me. Well, maybe you need a reminder, Mr. Bear. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, remind me, Miss Mousy, when it gets to be the new moon. Okay, Mr. Bear. I'll see you later. And don't forget to remind your listeners, Mr. Bear, that I'm just a two-dimensional hand-drawn rodent studying herbalism, and they should always do their own research. Oh, you you got it, Miss Mousy. Uh, see you next time. I'm gonna run out of time, and I'm gonna run out and buy something to change my mind, and I'm gonna stop on a dime, gonna stop on a dime. Scar. Got in a crash, but I got a new car, and I'm gonna try, grab the keys, one more time, and yeah, why I'll get so I'm gonna sad. drive, never the thought I'd ever survive, why did I go on a drive, I never thought I'd ever survive. There's something to change my mind 
Then I'm gonna stop on a dime. Stop on a dime. Stop on a dime. Stop on a dime. Hung up and underlit. They're gone. They're gone. They're gone. That was Party Car with Stop on Dime. And that's the show, folks. Thanks so much for spending a little time with me in the Violet Hour. I hope you enjoyed all those beautiful works from Janice Literary Magazine. Uh, It's a terrific online journal, and there's lots more wonderful things to read there. So you can check them out at JaniceLiterary.com. That's J-A-N-U-S Literary.com. And again, thanks to Lindsay Kroll, Fiona McKay, Matthew Gostolo, D.W. McKinney, Annie Banerjee, and Jude Higgins for letting me share their work. And thanks to Party Car uh, for sharing their music. Uh, Don't forget you can pick up their album at partycar.bandcamp.com. And as a parting gift, as usual, I have an oracle for you from Norton Jester's The Phantom Tollbooth. So let's see, I'm going to paw through, point down, and the oracle is... As the conductor waved his arms, he molded the air like handfuls of soft clay, and the musicians carefully followed his every direction. I'll read that one more time. As the conductor waved his arms, he molded the air like handfuls of soft clay, and the musicians carefully followed his every direction. Well, there's your oracle. Interpret it as you will. Thanks again for being here. I'll be back with you. Uh, I won't be here on the new moon, uh, even if Miss Mousy does remind me. Uh, so it'll it'll be after the new moon, uh, maybe before the next full moon, or maybe on the next full moon. But uh, you know, some sometime, one of these one of these moon phases, I'll be back uh, late June or early July. So. Uh, Until then, enjoy the summer solstice, grow some lemon balm, and uh, take care and be kind to each other. Theme song and show music by Sugar Whiskey. Mr. Bear and Miss Mousie believe in radical love and kindness, in mutual aid, and empowering ourselves and our communities. Together we can dismantle the white, racist, colonizing, misogynistic, capitalist, homophobic, transphobic, ableist patriarchy. This podcast was recorded on Potawatomi, Kickapoo, Miami, Sioux, and Peoria land. Text your zip code or city comma state to 907-312-5085 and find out whose land you're living on. Uh, You can also go to land.codeforanchorage.org for more information. There's also a helpful map at native-land.ca. This is just the first step in developing a land acknowledgement. Let's learn our history and honor the land and indigenous peoples, past, present, and future. This podcast was produced in collaboration with the Boston Free Radio Podcast Network, 
part of bostonfreeradio.com and Somerville Media Center, Somerville's longest-running public access media center that enables a vibrant and diverse community to express its creativity, explain its ideas, share its cultures, and foster the individual right to freedom of speech. Learn more about Somerville Media Center at somervillemedia.org or check out some of the other amazing Boston Free Radio podcasts and radio shows at bostonfreeradio.com. Thanks for listening.